Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, March 13th, and I'm your host, Vincent Chen. Right now, we have a team of fools in Austin, Texas, attending the South by Southwest Conference, and that's the focus of all our episodes this week. For today, I'm pleased to welcome Scott Latchett to Industry Focus. Scott is the president of research and strategy at PSFK, a business intelligent platform based in New York City. He was also a speaker at South by Southwest, and his presentation focused on a topic that we cover often on Consumer Goods Industry Focus, and that's the future of brick-and-mortar retail and how the in-store shopping experience is evolving. All right, Scott, welcome to Industry Focus. Uh, I was catching up with Dylan earlier, and he said you've been doing a lot lot of traveling. So, thanks a lot again for setting aside time here to join us today. Um, Before we dive into the business and more company-focused portion of this discussion, um, I was looking at your bio, and for the benefit of our listeners, it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about your background and the work you do at PSFK. Yeah, absolutely. And and thanks so much for having me on the program. So the company that I work for, PSFK, has over the past, let's say, 18 to 24 months sort of shifted a bit in terms of our focus. We've always had sort of two core aspects of the business, one being a publication, online publication that focuses on innovation across industries from retail to finance to automotive, et cetera and sharing that through various capacities with our readers from a newsletter to daily articles and interviews and everything sort of across the board. And then supporting that in the background has been a consulting business where we do bespoke services for brands, helping them understand the future of their business, identify where those opportunities are, and then apply that in terms of uh, longer term strategies for them. We're now sort of combining the two forces a bit and thinking more in terms of a membership platform that people can come to. We have a growing library of research reports. One of the core topics that we touch on is retail, and that's a report that we've been doing, uh, a future retail report over the past 10 years or so, along with a whole host of other topics, some big, some small. And um, we're really sort of trying to take that Netflix approach, so to speak, where we have a great content library of daily content as well as more sort of focused reports. And then alongside that, a uh, research service where people can sort of chat us, ask us questions, and then we'll turn around a bespoke report to them in 48 to 72 hours. Um, and my role is basically sort of leading more of that thought leadership content. So all the reporting that goes on there, um, and then any of the client work that we still do to support on a more bespoke basis. Awesome. Uh, you know, we're really excited to pick your brain a little bit here, um, especially on that future retail topic that you mentioned. Um, but something else I saw mentioned when I was looking at your bio is that you have experience working a lot of different jobs. I think it was described as ranging from blue collar to suit and tie environments. I was wondering if you feel like that kind of diversity in your career essentially has helped you with some of the research and other work that you're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I appreciate you sort of digging deep there. I, I sort of took a non-traditional approach to get to the point where I am now. And I think some of that was youthful idealism, not wanting to sort of get to um, this point now, but I guess I don't necessarily have to wear a suit and tie to work every day. So I've, I've maybe combined those two areas, sure. but, um, 
you know, I think for me, the, you know, we get a lot of kids that are coming in today that sort of have a very specific focus of what it is that they, um, you know, want to do sort of right out of the box. And, and I think having that sort of broader experience has at least given me the opportunity to sort of touch base with a lot of people, have a lot of different experiences. And then I think just generally that that worldly experience, if it if it all has done anything besides, um, you know, maybe create an interesting bio is enabled me to, um, you know, ha- take that into our approach, which is very much looking out into the world, seeing where emerging change is happening, and then trying to make sense of that um, in various ways. And outside of that, hopefully it makes me an interesting uh, dinner table companion as well. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's turn our attention now to South by Southwest. Um, how was your trip and time in Austin? It was great. You know, I haven't been back for a few years and there's, I think there's a lot of conversation, obviously, that people have about how valuable the time is that you have there. I, I sort of made the the rookie mistake that I continue to make, which is not really preparing my agenda ahead of time. So I was a little bit flying blind when I when I got in there. That said, there's something nice about just being able to sort of go in um, and see what's happening, talk to people, and kind of get a sense of um, you know the bigger the bigger shifts that are happening. This year, I really tried to focus less so on a lot of the branded activations, although. Um, I was lucky enough to go see the Westworld activation that was, I think, sort of owned the um, at least the interactive portion of South by Southwest in terms of um, something that was super successful, but tried to focus a little bit more on um, some of the content that was being offered there. For me, I, I run the gamut. So, you know, there's a lot of great um, there's a lot of great content around entertainment and things of, of that nature, as well mm-hmm. as the stuff that's more, more um, important to my sort of day to day. And, um, you know, there was a lot for me that the main focus, however, was, was still a lot of retail conversations that, that were happening. I gave the presentation that we're perhaps going to be, you know, sort of touching on today multiple times had multiple conversations with people across different industries that are all really sort of trying to figure out where um, either their businesses or their clients should be thinking about these spaces as well. Yep. So your presentation, if I have it correct, was called The Future of the Shopping Center. And you cover topics that come up on this podcast all the time. Uh, So brand building, new store formats, customer data and insights, how companies are, are collecting that and leveraging it. So, of course, what's driving all of this in terms of the future retail is the consumer. So first off, I'd like to get some high-level context um, and guidance, really, for the rest of our conversation um, in terms of what your thoughts are in terms of expectations from consumers that you think have become really the most important driving force in terms of how retailers think about their strategies and their stores. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's really interesting to see the the sort of big shift that is happening in terms of just retail across the board. I think I think to get to get to the consumer piece, I'll sort of dive in with the sort of larger thesis of how we were sort of approaching the report this year, which is what we were calling the sort of um, single channel or or um, unified channel approach to retail, so to speak. And 
that's an evolution, I think, of, of how the industry was talking about multi-channel. Um, when e-commerce became such a huge sort of industry focus, the recognition was that we need to have a, we need to have a bricks and mortar strategy. We need to have a mobile strategy. We need to have an online strategy, but those were all thought as very siloed approaches. Now to get into the consumer is over all of that time, the consumer has sort of maintained this, um, sort of expectation that retail is just retail regardless of all the tools that are at my disposal and the things that you offer, there's an expectation that I expect a consistent level of experience regardless of where I choose to shop. And so the, what that means for the industry at large is they need to stop thinking about these as separate entities, but all is one unified approach, which then helps them understand who that customer is regardless of where they're choosing to shop and um, can then complement one another in lots of interesting ways. Yep. Uh, when it comes down to it, you know, my experience uh, as a consumer too, regardless of whether I go to the store or I sit down on my computer, I'm still shopping. And I don't see it as this, these distinct silos, kind of, kind of how you described. And so, uh, kind of blending that together, making sure that it jives, right? Yeah, and, and alongside, alongside of that, I think... Um, you know, there is that because of the way that digital has sort of shifted across the board, um, how consumers approach just services in general. I think we're seeing that there's that expectation for on demand, everything available and is, you know, one click if possible, but as few clicks, um, any of that friction that, that you, um, associate with that process is, is one more opportunity that someone's going to leave uh, that process. I think the personalization is obviously another huge component of that in terms of how you understand who I am as an individual, recognizing what history I have with your brand, building on that, um, and, and using that to sort of elevate the experience in interesting ways. And then if we talk specifically about the offline experience, I think what we're seeing is that in general experience for consumers is, is such a core thing. Um, in terms of discretionary spending, we're seeing that experience is um, really sort of replacing product as what people want to spend their money on, whether that's going out to eat, traveling, entertainment. It's really sort of part and parcel to that whole um, social media experience that's driving so much of our behaviors nowadays, both I need to get offline to actually go live life. But once I'm there, I want to share what I'm doing and actually, um, use that to increase the status and, and how people sort of view me online and translating that into the sort of business world is we're seeing a bump up in terms of the retailers that are able to offer, some interesting experience to their customer, whether that's um, a brand experience come to life within the context of the store or a deeper understanding of how to use that product, how it fits into my life, what it can do for me. All of those things are, are sort of hugely important now. And it's, and it's really sort of bringing some of that theater back to um, that physical retail experience, which I, which I think is 
how we see the, the function of the store going forward is almost, you know, it, it will still be a place of transaction, but it very much will be a marketing channel as well and a way to really build these relationships with consumers. Yeah, I you mentioned that theater analogy uh, in your presentation. I really liked that uh, in terms of context, contextualizing retail uh, uh, where it, I think you described it, it used to be Hollywood was kind of the guiding force in defining the retail experience, but eventually it shifted more so to operations-minded people. And now companies kind of have to re-embrace the idea of theater, like you said, or showmanship to make a better connection with the consumers. And I think that is something we already see in and has been consistent with luxury brands because they've always needed to craft that story, establish a deeper connection with their customers. So it makes sense um, that companies operating in those high-end segments have often been more resilient, often outperformed the broader sector overall in recent history. So, uh, we have some of the high-level background there in the context uh, that we've been talking about um, in terms of expectations from consumers. So, how is how are some of these things actually manifesting the, uh, manifesting themselves at uh, you know your local shopping mall, your shopping center? Um, how is that actually taking shape at the store? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, what I'll, the, the, the easiest way to sort of talk about this is maybe to highlight some of the, the things from our report that I think are that I think are quite interesting sure. in terms of how some of these companies are perhaps approaching that. And I think for us, more broadly, the way that we that we think about this is there is that sort of experiential lifestyle component which is then backed up by a smarter operating system, which is all of the sort of technology components, most of which I don't think necessarily are consumer focused, but more operationally focused. And the two sort of working together again to sort of make that physical experience really interesting um, and more efficient at the same time while sort of connecting that to the other channels as well. But in terms of bringing that sort of experience to life, I think there's some sort of keywords that that um, I can sort of highlight here. One is being this notion of discovery. And I think so much of how retailers perhaps a- approach stores was from a sort of seasonal point of view, where merchandise didn't really sort of um, change over very often. Um, the store was just a store. It was a place to go in, transact, and then leave. Now we're really seeing it more so as a platform, a place where, hey, you're going to have some transactions, but but you're going to be able to offer all of these other experiences on top of that, whether that's events, whether that's partnerships with other brands, whether that's um, a level of education, uh, again, thinking about how the product comes to life in helping people elevate that ownership experience and or um, what that means more broadly in their own lives. One of the companies that we see sort of leading this and, and is starting to be replicated sort of across the board is a company called Story, which is based in New York City. They have a pretty unique business model in the sense that they essentially sell in partnerships with two other brands and will recreate their physical experience around what it is that brand is trying to accomplish. And so they treat themselves more as a really that marketing channel where every four to six weeks they're partnering with a brand um, like um, I'm trying to think of a partnership. I know they they partnered with Target around the holidays one year mm-hmm. and the 
Target essentially paid for that that sort of partnership. They brought in a whole um, curated selection of inventory. They did programming around that. Um, they brought in interesting sort of partnerships. And, it, and, and the idea here is that it's really giving that consumer a reason to continually check back in with that store. Um, they're not necessarily relying on sales per square foot. They're thinking about experience per square foot in terms of their business model. But it's been successful enough that you see a brand like Timberland begin to um, experiment with a similar idea. So they have a new store in the King of Prussia Mall, which they call their Tree Lab. Similar type of approach where it's, hey, every, every two months we're going to completely change up what we're thinking about in terms of the store. Some of the product might be the same, but what happens around that is going to be different. So again, it's a, a sort of content approach um, alongside that sort of retail push. Then, um, you know, a lot of the conversation that we're seeing is how community plays a big role within that physical retail experience. Again, you have this dedicated space. A lot of it is, you know, sort of sitting unused. So there's a lot of potential within the context of that, that, that store space, if you will. Um, one of the things that makes physical in general so interesting is this sort of emotional connection that you can begin to form with your, with your customer. And then if you can bring in that sort of like-minded fan community around, um, around the halo of your brand or your store, then that's even that much more interesting. Um, so you have a company like uh, it's called Game um, in the UK, which is similar to GameStop in the US. They sort of see the writing on the wall. We're going to be selling video games pretty soon. That's going to be something that you're, you know, if not already, that people are just going to be able to buy and stream um, through a connected platform. Anyways, how do we elevate that experience? Well, let's sort of recreate the arcade, so to speak, within the context of our stores. People pay to play on the latest gaming rigs. They bring in partnerships with new technology providers. So you can go in there and actually um, experience the latest VR technology in the best possible environment. And then they're um, creating what already is a, is a community that exists online in, in, in many cases, but, but bringing that into the physical store. And there's been some really compelling numbers in terms of how long people are spending in the stores, how much they're actually spending when they're there that um, has been successful enough as a sort of small strategy that they're beginning to sort of spin that out into the broader um, sort of they, they plan to, to use this as their store strategy going forward, so to speak. That's great. Uh, that, um, those are some really good examples. And I, I'd like to uh, just for listeners um, in terms of the investing story, some of the public companies out there, we've seen examples recently too, uh, at a greater scale for bigger names. You have department stores and big box stores adopting some of these similar concepts in terms of um, discovery, uh, keeping the inventory fresh or the experience fresh. Uh, something that uh, I think is a good example of this is the store within a store concept uh, in terms of companies like JCPenney partnering with Sephora, Nordstrom partnering with uh, Names like Everlane and uh, Chanel, Amazon's testing stuff like this with its Whole Foods locations, where they have uh, kind of uh, the electronics component with their smart uh, home speakers and think their smart home assistants. So these uh, 
kind of this experimentation is really cool to follow right now. And I think even for bigger uh, names out there, uh, chains, brands that I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with, shop with on a regular basis, they're already starting to see in their own experience some of the the experimentation bleeding over and uh, being applied even with this huge national footprints. Um, I'd like to change gears a little bit um, and pick your brain now on customer data um, because this is, uh, I know you mentioned more on the infrastructure side uh, when you're providing kind of the framework for our discussion, but we've seen a lot of companies praise the data insights that they get into their customer shopping habits from things that have existed for a long time, like loyalty programs, uh, mobile apps, their online storefronts. But it seems like companies now are able to get even more granular and specific. Um, can you tell us about some notable examples of what companies are learning about their shoppers and how they're leveraging that information uh, now that it's become even more robust? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, to your point, there traditionally has been this gap where one of the advantages of having a online presence is the fact that you were able to gather information that you weren't necessarily able to capture about a customer in store. I think what we're seeing now is there with with a with that unified approach, there's the opportunity to sort of begin to close that gap, understand the customer both in store and um, and online, and then start to do interesting things about it. Mm-hmm. I think the most compelling, um, perhaps example of this is something that Alibaba is doing. And I think for me, where it all starts with them is you have a marketplace in China where you have, a consumer who's very comfortable and in many cases is is only using a uh, mobile payments as how they transact sort of across the board. Um, so in the case of Alibaba, they have their Alipay platform, which is sort of the de facto way that people are transacting, whether that's through any of Alibaba's online properties like a Tmall or um, more largely now within the context of that store experience. Um, this is all sort of part and parcel of what they're calling their new retail model, if you will. And so if you look at one of their grocery stores, um, which is called Hema, H-E-M-A, it's basically trying to recreate, um, really sort of bring the best of both um, of the, the sort of online and offline worlds together in a very seamless way. Everything that you're doing within the context of that store is driven by an app. So you're scanning products into your shopping cart. You are learning information about um, those products as well. It's all connected to your Alipay app. They've bumped up some experiential elements within the store alongside of that. But I think once you're able to understand very, um, very specific transactional data, um, understand what is being picked up and and what isn't, what's going into that shopping cart and ultimately being transacted across. It enables you to do a lot of really interesting things about not only optimizing that store experience, but then thinking about how you begin to market to that customer sort of across the board. Um, I think another interesting example of uh, a company that's thinking about this from more of a sort of shopping center point of view is Westfield. Um, For them, one of their big sort of investments right now is thinking about how they understand more about who's coming into their their 
particular properties. So they have um, 450 uh, new sort of digital advertising screens across about half of their properties. There are 33 properties in the U.S. That's able to track um, within 20 feet um, demographic data about um, who the customers are that are looking at those screens. It's even able to sort of capture emotional responses, whether you're smiling, frowning, depending on what you're looking at, dwell times. That information they can use to sort of better serve their ads, but then also um, sell that information or provide that as a um, as a intel back to their customers to say, based off of these things and what we understand about who's coming in and what they're looking at, you should think about uh, marketing to them in these ways. And then they've recently begun to uh, experiment. I think this is within the past like six to eight months. They have what they're, they're, they've renamed their retail lab One Market. And what they're essentially trying to do is become a, a sort of one-stop shop for the retailers who might have space within their uh, physical malls. And they're trying to create partnerships between multiple stores to start begin to, to share the data and the information that they're capturing, again, about who's coming into their stores, how much time they're spending there, what merchandise is being sold. Obviously, a lot of that is anonymized or, or by its very nature is anonymized. But then once you have all of that information in a broader context, then it becomes really interesting in terms of thinking about what that means in terms of how you're thinking about your business as a whole. And, and I can keep going on, but I'll, I'll sort of pause there and, and see if you have any additional follow-up. Oh, no, that, those are some really, uh, really cool examples. And especially with Westfield, uh, kind of taking that one market approach that you mentioned uh, at the shopping mall, I think it leverages kind of some of the benefits and the scale that a huge online marketplace like Amazon already sees in terms of how people interact with different brands across different uh product categories and how they can kind of leverage that to increase basket sizes and recommend the right products for customers. So, But they're just able to apply that whole concept, that idea, to now a physical space. And I think there's a lot of, uh, there's that can be very powerful for these properties and for the companies in that space. So, uh, we have a few more minutes here. I want to wrap up. I'd like to kind of extend our time horizon a little bit, look out maybe five, ten years. Um, you've talked about a lot of uh, some of the changes uh, and trends that are having an impact on brick and mortar retail. There's tons of experimentation going on now. Um, what are the big takeaways for you, or what do you think will eventually become standard to the shopping experience um, going forward that investors can look out for and say, and if they see a management team, for example, talking about it during earnings call or conference call, kind of. Uh, get a note in their mind where they think, okay, these this management team, they're thinking about the future, they're looking at things in a proactive way to, to kind of uh, tackle the online offline channels the right way. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's I think there's some bigger some bigger things for sure that I think will power a lot of, of what's going to be happening sort of going forward. I think to, to start it's um, sufficient sophisticated CRM system, which again is beginning to understand uh, customers across channels, capturing that data, making it available um, in compelling ways either to decision makers or uh, um, you know, more so how that manifests in the hands of 
store associates or customer service representatives or whatever the case might be. Okay. I think um, that would be that would be number one. Um, number two, I think, is again sort of having this um, rethinking the supply chain. One of the the ways that we really see the store functioning going forward is not again beyond being an experience center and a part of the marketing channel is also being a part of a distributed supply chain. So as much a place where people come in to buy products off the shelf as it is a place to fulfill online orders and sort of build out the efficiency of that broader uh, sort of delivery network or fulfillment network as well. Um, What is required there is then for companies to have a much more sophisticated understanding of um, their inventory and again be able to tap into that to, to figure out where those efficiencies are in terms of that fulfillment um, you know just to give you an example Zara I was reading an article recently one-third of their um, of their total orders are all click and collect orders and they recognized that that was a great sort of um, aspect of their business but there they were falling down in terms of the the experience within the store when people came to pick up orders. You've got somebody in the store, you don't want to give them a terrible experience as they're sort of going through that fi- those final few transactional moments. Mm-hmm. And so they're rethinking their business around that and what the store actually, how that store actually functions. Um, so I think that's a huge component as well. Um, I think again sort of to go alongside both of those is to sort of think about that if you're gonna have you need to have some sort of a mobile strategy and to really think long and hard about um, what type of experience and what type of utility you're providing to that consumer again regardless of whether they're coming to you to shop directly through that app or how that sort of um, impacts that store experience for them and I think there's a lot of ways that that can sort of sort of manifest and that also connects through to what I mentioned before which is that sort of mobile payment space which I think is a huge opportunity as well because really that sort of thinking about the end-to-end experience of you can see what people are looking at um, in various capacities perhaps they're going to use that mobile to engage within the store and log into that store and then um, connecting that through to that sort of payment um, data, which I think is, you know, a, a holy grail for to use a sort of hackneyed term, but I think is is quite compelling as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much, Scott. I think the big takeaway for me here is just the idea that we talk all the time on the show about uh, companies, retailers taking on this omni-channel strategy, trying to uh, fulfill customers' needs when and where and however they kind of want to place their orders, do their shopping. But the important thing here seems like is not letting that be uh, this kind of distinct siloed effort, like you said, but to make sure everything integrates well and to consider um, not just in terms of operations and logistics, but how that also blends in terms of some of the softer things, the intangibles like your brand and the overall experience and connection that customers have with your company. Um, so again, Scott, thanks again um, for joining us today and you know let it, letting us kind of pick your brain, get some of these ideas out. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Vince, and uh, 
hope to be able to continue the conversation at another point. So appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, fools. Austin Morgan is the producer for Industry Focus. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Fool on. Fool on.